You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello everybody and welcome to this edition of The Essential Apple. And this week, uh, Nick is here. Hello Nick. Hi Simon. Hello mate, good to have you back again. And we are joined by Jeff Gamut. Jeff is back again. Hello Jeff, how are you doing? I, I'm doing great and thanks for inviting me back. I genuinely have a lot of fun hanging out with you. All right, well, that's excellent. I'm always glad to have you, Jeff. Always glad to have you on. So, um, well, this week, um, Apple finally sprung their spring announcement for, uh, you know, the spring-loaded event that we've all been pondering around uh, for the last few weeks. Um, and interestingly, allegedly, Siri leaked it um, before Apple announced it. Um. I find that slightly difficult to believe that that was a, not a planned leak, to be honest. But, uh, uh, the day On the day before uh, Apple actually announced it, somebody said that, um, you know, they asked Siri when the next Apple event was, and Siri replied, the Apple event will be on the 20th, you know. Um, and Siri has since been renamed Sneaky Siri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tittle-tattle. There we go. Um, I'm. I find it hard to believe that that was an accident, to be honest. And how many people constantly ask Siri, you know, when the next Apple event is? I suppose people who are desperately trying to see if well, something comes up. I'm pretty sure that up. number's gone up significantly now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, everyone's tried it, and they've all got this disappointing message saying, "I'm sorry, I don't understand that." Yeah. Well, my expectation is now that this has happened that uh, uh, every technology journalist or blogger every day says, <laughs> hey, S-Lady, when's the next Apple event? Yeah, I can and, see a macro uh, button coming on. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure someone has created a, a, a shortcut that automatically asks S-Lady that at 12.01 a.m. Pacific time every single day. <laughs> <laughs> and, if so, and, and if they get a proper response... Then, uh, then it must trigger some sort of home kit scene that turns on the lights in their bedroom and starts flashing to let them know you have to get up and write an article right now. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, if it was an accidental leak, it will probably never happen again. And if it wasn't, uh, even so, it will probably never happen again just because Apple will be yanking their chains. If you want my honest opinion, there'll be technology bloggers. Checking Siri, as you say, at 12.01 every day, only to be disappointed. You know, I hope Apple adds some uh, some clever responses to that. Yeah, um, that would be fun, wouldn't it? You know, yeah. like like uh, you, you ask Guest Lady when the next Apple event is, and it responds back, I'm not falling for that one again. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you yeah. like to know? Well, that would be... That would be telling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Mm -hmm. We could see somebody having some fun with those, I think. That would be um, 
So there we go. It was then off after that, after that leak, quote unquote, uh, was sprung. Ha 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 ha. Um, <laughs> yeah, all right. All puns intended. Uh, Apple then officially sent out the invitations for Spring Loaded, which will be on Tuesday the 20th at the usual time, uh, you know, a pre-recorded event, we're assuming. Um, And that's about all we know. Speculation, as usual, has been rife all over the the web, um, with people promising us everything from AirTags to, you know, new uh, iMacs, all sorts of things. Uh, Basically, I think... Well, a lot of it sounds to me like people wish fulfilling what they want to see, and uh, I'm not sure. I think Apple tend to be uh, fairly focused. I can't, I don't know. Some people are focusing on the idea that it says loaded, and that means there's going to be loads of stuff, but who can say? I mean, they have, say? Done it, they have done it in the past, haven't they? I mean, we have had some announcements that just seem to go on and on. And oh, and by the way, here's another thing. Well, we uh, have. But yeah. at the same time, we've also had things that, you know, where that it's just been one main thing and maybe one other thing. So, yeah, we just don't know. Nope. Well, and spring loaded sounds very clever because, you know, it's spring and uh, they're going to surprise us with something and uh, yeah it doesn't necessarily mean we're getting tons of stuff and i agree with you i think people tend to project onto uh apple's media events what they want to see released because it's what they want right now and then they're disappointed after the fact because apple didn't announce everything including magic unicorns (laughs) and and that's what's going to happen this time Apple will announce whatever it is that they have, and uh, and someone's going to be disappointed. Somebody's always disappointed. I love uh, I love each time we have an announcement. I love listening to uh, for Mac eyes only. Um, if 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 only just to find out how how wrong <laughs> how wrong they all get it because yeah. it's just wonderful. And they go off on wonderful tangents as well, which have nothing to do with what's going on on stage. It's a little bit like. It's a little bit like listening to historical British cricket, really. Yes. Um, Where where they don't actually talk about the cricket at all. No, there's a bus going past the uh, far end there. It's got a nice advert on it, an advert Gordon's Gin. Mm, gin. Yeah, that's right. And there's, there's a lovely, uh, there's a lovely parody of it in um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books, where they talk about uh, a sofa appearing in Lords. When was the last time we had a sofa appear at Lords? Well, I don't know. I think that might have been 1953. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Thank, thank you for that, because, uh, because. Every now and then there'd be something that that would come up into the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series where it would be funny and clever to me, but there was a subtext that I haven't gotten. Oh, and yes. you just filled in another focus. subtext for me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes, there's quite a lot of those. Yeah. I'm glad I could help. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. So, um, well, I don't know. I don't want to go on about the event for too long because we'll find out soon enough. But um, if you want my punt, I think it's going to be iPads and possibly AirPods 3. That's my punt. There you go. Okay. All right. I, I, oh, you go ahead, please. I want to, I want to hear uh, what you have. Well, no, I was going to say I'm not going to because I, I have no idea, really. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, well, then I'm like. happy to speculate. <laughs> yeah, go on then. Um, uh, new iPad Pro, 
because we've we've had the uh that limbo phase where yep. where the line is too blurred between the iPad models and it's about mm-hmm. time for that for the new model to come out. Uh new Apple Watch bands because we tend to get new colors in the spring. Oh yes, good thought. Good thought, Jeff. Yes, I'd forgotten about that. They like to do their seasonal um band collections now, don't they? Right. And yeah, and depending on what technology changes are in the new iPad, it could mean a new Apple Pencil for compatibility or not. Or not, as the case. That's an be. interesting thought. Yeah, because if they go for a if they go for a micro LED screen, they might have to use slightly different um, technology. Mm. Mm. Well, that would leave a very weird sort of um, pencil landscape because you didn't you'd have three different sorts of pencils that are not necessarily compatible with other ipads <laughs> that's true but that's not stopped apple in the past does it no i mean at the yeah. minute you've got some right. that, some that accept the pencil one and some that accept the pencil two um and i don't yeah, think they're interchangeable confusing so but yeah that's my thinking along with jeff that you know the ipad pro is fairly likely i think that tends to be announced in the spring and we have that weird like you've said we have a weird thing where in the autumn they release you know an ipad and an ipad air and then they wait like five months before they update the pros which is always seems a bit weird to me because you get you get that overlap where at the minute the, the air is almost as good as the pro for a lot less money to be honest mm-hmm but we see it with with the Mac lineup too. Apple has that weird overlap window on a regular basis. They do. That is true. That is very true. Um, strange to me, but you know, Apple roll <laughs> as Apple rolls. And um, who are we to uh, try and unpick their you know their plans? Still, I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to it. I am looking forward to it. I hope there's going to be something interesting. Um, I'm not sure about IMAX. All this talk about IMAX, it seems a bit... I don't know. I really don't. I mean, they could, I suppose. If they're going loaded, they could They could do IMAX, I suppose. But that would seem like a lot of things to be doing at once if you start putting in IMAX and iPads and watch stuff. But we cannot... You cannot uh, tell. Um, I've got uh, a link here to a piece on Apple Insider, which says the colours in Apple Spring Event Invitation hint at a lot of things, Leaker says. Um, this one's a real stretch, to be honest. This one's very, very uh, dubious. They've cut up the, um, you know, the spring-loaded uh, graphic and kind of rearranged it and then flipped the part of it over and repeated it. Um, and they claim it says iPad. Actually, it looks like... Yeah, it looks, it looks more like Illoid. Uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I thought it looked like LED, I-L-E-D, if anything. Well, yeah, yeah, it could do, except the E's on its side, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. strange, strange thought, but... I think that's, I think that's a, a big stretch, let's put it that way. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that I just damaged my retinas by letting my eyes roll that far back in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a definite. Uh, um, and air tags, of course. Everybody keeps on about these air tags, which um, have been, you know, people have been yattering on about these for what seems like forever now. Um, I have a crazy hypothesis on air tags. Go, 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 go on then, Jeff. Tell us. Air tags is a platform, not a hardware product. Just like CarPlay is a platform, not a hardware product. Interesting. So give people 
or developers the ability to uh, to do uh, tracking of devices or tags, whatever whatever you want to call them, from uh, iPhones, and now you have a huge worldwide network for tracking lost or stolen devices. And companies can build this technology into their products. And we've seen announcements already, like uh, that. Uh, there's a bike maker, for example, yep, yep. that's going to have air tags built into their bikes. And anyone that's currently making tags, like Tile, can uh, uh, update their products, uh, possibly just through software, to support this platform. And uh, and there you go. Yeah, because um, Apple announced three things, I think didn't they, that are compatible with the Find My. They're basically opening Find My up to third parties. So, mm -hmm. um, yes, that is, that's a good thought, actually, Jeff. I'm not, everybody is going on as if they're going to be a tile-like thing. Um, maybe they're not. Maybe they're not at all. Um, yeah, and, of course, I have nothing to back that up. It, um, it's just speculation no. on my part. No, but it's a, an interesting, interesting thought. And then if you wanted to analyze that, as it were, you could say, well, air tags, they're air tags because they're, they're not actual tags at all. They're just something pre-fitted into your um, product. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I mean, they might, do a, they might do a physical tag as well, so you can put them on things like your keys and on your wallet or whatever, but um, depends. If they do, being Apple, they probably won't be cheap. Um, probably not, but I would expect them to be... Uh, very good that is true they would um the biggest problem i've had with like bluetooth type trackers in the past is, is the battery life um often you know they burn through your cr2032 or whatever they're running on in in fairly short order which is um usually means that you know just when you want it you go to the app and no uh, sorry no air tag you know no tag was found is the uh, yeah, I, I've had pretty good luck with my tile trackers, right? Um, but uh, but I also went through that whole transition with tile, where when I initially bought them, they were disposable because you couldn't change out the batteries. Yeah, as I was going to say, originally you couldn't change the batteries, could you? Which always struck right. me as um, you know not a great not a great uh, design choice. Yeah. Um, yep. And then when I replaced my my batch of of disposable tiles. By that point, because those last a really long time, but by by the time they died, I uh, was able to replace them with the models that have uh, replaceable batteries. And one of the things that Tile has done, which I thought was really interesting, um, when one of those would get really, really low on, on battery, I would get a notification on my phone or as an email, and I can't even remember, that said, Hey, this tile needs a new battery. We're just going to send you one. Oh, interesting. And so I had to go to a web page and make sure that they had the right uh, shipping address. And then like a week later, a replacement battery showed up. Mm, that's good. So I've actually never paid for the replacement batteries in my tiles. Interesting. Yeah. That, that kind of makes the initial outlay because they're, they're not super cheap either. But that makes it probably easier to swallow if you're effectively, you know, being supplied with batteries for life. Right. And uh, and they knew that I was replacing the disposable tiles because uh, because they gave me like a discount code 
simply because I was replacing the disposable ones. Hmm. So maybe that all tied together. They're trying to do stuff to make me feel better about uh, having to buy their products and then turn around and buy them all over again. Hmm. I would wonder if if Apple did make a physical tag, if it would um, be a you know, rechargeable chi type of device. You could put it on an induction pad and charge it up. That wouldn't surprise me, but it also concerns me. How how long would that battery last? That is true. It's all, you know, all batteries run out in the end, don't they? Um, right. Each, and, well, yes, yes. And then also, how long will it hold a charge? True. Um, am I uh, am I missing something about these tags? I mean, what what, what are we what are we talking about? Are they just literally tell you where things are? Um, yes. Basically, the word the, the well, the speculation is that they're going to be kind of like tile or you know various other trackers are available, but um, they're going to work through Find My. That's the big yeah, the big. I've point. never really sort of seen the. I'm not, I'm not saying I never lose things because I do, but I'm not I'm not really seeing seeing the appeal here personally. I, I don't know why there's been such do a lot of speculation. A lot? I don't. No, so perhaps that's it. Okay, that I, that's it then. Um, as someone in in the before time, you know, but before the pandemic, yeah, who traveled a lot, having the tile trackers is great. Uh, ha- have one on whatever suitcase I'm traveling with, my computer bag, and uh, and I have an APAP machine so that uh, uh, I actually breathe when I'm asleep, and that one has a tag on it also, so that when I when I'm traveling. I know where all three of those bags are all the time. And if one of them gets too far away from me, I can have an alarm go off. Um, If, uh, if, Suddenly there's like this big pile of bags and I'm not sure if mine's there. I'll know. I can just look on my phone and, uh, and see where the bag is. It's, it's a nice peace of mind thing because I can say how that would be It's fitting your bags for you. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And, and I know people that lose their keys all the time. Yeah, some people just do, you know. Um Yeah, and so they put a, a tile tracker on their uh on their key ring. Yes. And and I know someone who cannot keep track of where their AirPods case is, so they finally put a tile on that too. Hmm. I'll tell you where I have most difficulty and it's it's not it's not so much that things are lost or they're too far away. Um I'm what my mother would have called um uh, a dabber she'd say don't dabber things down on the floor <laughs> <laughs> i.e i just tend to drop things when i'm and so if i'm doing anything sort of um if i'm uh, a little while ago i went down and set up a, a pan tilt zoom camera at church and uh so i i needed you know a screwdriver a, a screwdrivers and a drill and a and the, the number of times I had to walk across the church because the the tool I needed, I dropped over there. Yeah. <laughs> I must have mm. walked about an extra couple of miles while I was down there just sort of because, well, where have I put that there? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, that's funny. The, I mean, the, the thing with the, the tags, the, part, the big appeal is that they're going to be able to um, wirelessly talk to pretty much all Apple devices all of the time rather than just being tied directly to your own phone or whatever as i understand right. it that seems to be the that seems to be the the sort of main speculation that it would you know form a mesh network with apple devices everywhere um so that because like with your 
you know, with a, an, an ordinary tag, as long as it's in range, you can, you know, ping it or whatever. But if it goes out of range, then, um, it, you know, it's lost. You you can't. Yes. But the idea, as far as I understand it, and I think I think Jeff will probably say the same. The idea is that they, the, these tags would um, wirelessly talk to all Apple devices or most Apple devices. Right. So a little bit like the um, the pandemic tracker apps. Yes, and, things and, and that, that, to, so yeah. that, mm-hmm. but like invisibly, not um, you know, not something that could yes. be um, intercepted by a user, but that. Would mean that, like you know, all our, all iPhones that are new enough would be able to de- detect the tags and sort of send it back in a mesh-like way to the original. Yeah, that'd be cool because presumably it'd be fairly easy to triangulate something then because you'd have yes. lots of lots of points lots of, to lots of, triangulate lots of, it right. From. Yes, and you'd know exactly where it's going because you'd be able to follow the trail. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So that's that's the thing. But as just just said, you know, maybe Air Tags aren't actual physical devices at all, but a platform. Because obviously, we've already had um, at least three devices announced that are going to use the Find My technology. Right. Okay. Um, which be. was an expensive, uh, an ex- fairly expensive bicycle company. Um, I can't remember what the other oh, two the were. Van Moof. Yeah. And um, yeah. I think one was. Um, I can't think who the other one was, to be honest. There were there were three were announced anyway, so that's and no doubt oh, they will be, be the first of see. first of many. So there we are. So um, we finally know how the FBI unlocked the San Bernardino shooter's iPhone. Um, this is on TNW plugged apparently, and links back to uh, it links back to the Washington Post, which has a rather long article about. How um, an Australian company um, devised a chain of um, exploits to uh, break into the uh, terrorist's phone. Um, Azimuth, they were called, I believe. Um, And uh, it cost the FBI $900,000 to um, find that there was nothing useful on it anyway, which I think most of us already (laughs) predicted. even it also, the it police also were predicting that. Yeah, yeah the, the San Bernardino yeah. police chief in a in a press conference said that uh, he thought there was nothing of value on the phone. Yeah, highly unlikely to be anything of any use. Um, there we are, uh, and it, and it just confirms to us, doesn't it? That I mean, we know that if you try hard enough, someone will someone will be able to get in. Yes, and it's they, the same with all all of we we've said before. It's a, it's a cat and mouse, isn't it? I mean that. <laughs> People will try and break in, and people will find some ways of breaking in, and then Apple will update their phones, and <laughs> the whole circus starts again. Indeed. According to this quite long article, um, they uh, used a gang, you know, a, a whole gang of uh, researchers to string together a whole load of um, exploits. Um, and apparently the main key was that they used uh, a floor in Mozilla. Um, I'm assuming that was probably uh, maybe, I don't, I don't know what would be on an iPhone that's Mozilla other than Firefox. Can you get Firefox browser on iOS? I don't know what. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I believe you can get Firefox and Chrome and um, uh, Opera. Could it yep. be? Could it be? I mean, I'm presuming it could be something quite level, low level down. So it could be something that digs a little bit into the system of the yeah. phone. Yeah. Anyway, that they managed to. 
Um, obviously, for those who don't recall it, it was a five uh, five S. It was a five C. Five C, a five C, um, and iOS nine. Um, and yes, they strung together uh, a, a, about five different exploits to use it to break into the phone. Um, and then at the end of this rather long article, as it says, exploits, however, have a shelf life. And a month or so after the FBI unlocked the terrorist's iPhone, Mozilla discovered the flaw in its software, patched it in a routine update, and so did all vendors that relied on that software, including Apple. Mm. And the exploit was rendered useless. Maybe there's a piece of Mozilla software, you know, used not as an app per se, but um, to do something else. Anyway, there we are. It was... You know, it was no more. So nine hundred thousand dollars for nothing. There we go. Yeah, yeah, really for nothing. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think people, part of the underlying uh, uh, strategy for this was, uh, uh, you know, the the FBI at this point they had really taken a strong position that that uh, Apple and other device makers needed to make backdoors into their products, and of course Apple was straight up saying nope not going to happen and we we will fight this with with every dollar we have and and i think rightly so and so at this point the fbi was in a position where they i really feel were spending money to make a statement yeah yeah i think i think it's that's probably true to say well we're not going to back down because Apple say they won't. We have to find a way to get into it now to to save face. Um, here we are. Um, of course, the the company, um, the Australian company Azimuth, also uh, say that uh, they partly uh, were happy to do it because um, that meant Apple was off the hook, as it were, um, over you know, being attacked about putting a, a backdoor into or creating a, a tool to backdoor iOS. Um, I'm sure the $900,000 uh, played fit. into their happiness as well. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Will Strafak, uh, iOS security researcher, said this is the best possible thing that could have happened. Um the vendor unlocked the phone, far from being unethical, potentially averted a very bad precedent for Apple, where everyone's phone would have had to have weakened security. So we are. Uh, interesting. I mean, it's long dead and gone now, but sometimes these things are interesting to find out how uh, how they did finally break through. And uh, as Jeff said before the show, uh, I bet that put Celebrite's nose out of joint. Yeah, yes. And, and I, I said that in part because... Everyone assumed at the time that Celebrite was the company that unlocked the iPhone, and they got a lot of really good publicity out of it. And uh, and they never said, yes, we did this, and they never said, no, we didn't. <laughs> no. Yeah. Let's take, the, let's take the kudos, even though we didn't actually have anything to do with it. There we are. Um. I've got a few more little Apple bits and bobs. Um, apparently, an Apple trading partner is under fire amid an alarming uptick in complaints, according to 9to5Mac. Um, obviously, Apple has ramped up its focus on product trade-ins. Um, a report from The Verge highlights a growing number of complaints centred around Phobio, an Atlanta-based trading partner which Apple works with closely. Um 
Apple needs a new trade-in partner. Yeah. Um, I mean, simple as that. Yep. If uh, if people are unhappy, then, you know, they're not providing the service that uh, Apple are, no doubt, uh, expecting them to. Right. And this reflects on Apple, not the trading company. Well, as uh, a couple says, of years yes. ago, I looked at trading in uh, an iPad, uh, an iPad Pro to uh, upgrade to a new iPad Pro. And uh, and I won't say where where I was or which Apple store I was in, just in case that Apple uh, retail employee is still working for the company. Uh, but they mentioned the trade in program and uh, and and they were looking at my my mint condition iPad. And I said, so how much money will they give me for this? And they just looked at me for for a minute and then very quietly said, don't trade it in. They're probably going to offer you only $50 and say it's in bad shape. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for that. I will go. <laughs> and I mean, that was excellent customer service and exactly not what they were supposed to do. But at the same time, excellent customer service. Yeah. yeah so that I, tells I'm, me I'm this is sure. a long running problem. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't think it's particularly a problem in the UK because it seems to me that the UK version of trading is very poor in comparison there are other companies that will give you more money um every time i've tried they've always offered me far less there's a a company in the uk called music magpie and they do lots of tech um trade-ins and they sell stuff as well that they they get through their trade-ins um and they've always offered more than apple so yeah yeah that's, you can... that's the way I, if i've done it that's the way i've done it through them um i think in the us apple was rather more generous than they are in the uk but in the uk you're usually better off selling it you know either privately or shifting it to somebody like cex or yes um one of those yeah, generally kind of places. you're better off doing the same here in the united states there we are um Apple brings its 24-hour music video channel to the UK and Canada, apparently. Uh, previously, I believe, only available in the US. Um, we're all thrilled to know about that, that we can go back to the <laughs> MTV years and watch endless wall-to-wall videos. Not. Um... <laughs> Next up, water and electricity coming to these countries. Indeed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not, not my thing, obviously. Some of these things, I do make you wonder, you know, why, why is this, you know, why is Apple Music apparently so limited in the number of places you can get it? Um, and news, the, the same. I mean, actually, those of us who've got Apple News, I'd find it great. But, I mean, Alistair in the Slack always says, you know, bah, humbug, we don't get Apple News. Or, you know, a variety of other things. Um. And Bart it's says licensing. the same. Yeah, I guess it is down to licensing, but yeah, I mean, if Apple had their had their way, they would be offering all of their entertainment services, news services, all of that stuff worldwide day one, yeah. and they can't because they have to to fight through the most ridiculous licensing uh, battles, just like every other company. I guess so. Um, there we are. So. Uh... Those of us in the UK and Canada can now watch Apple's version of MTV, should we be so inclined. There we are. Um, I've got a report from BGR, which says new Apple tech could be the best thing to happen to iPhones in years. Um, now, this is based, uh, you know, on 
them digging up a patent. Um, but Apple is apparently working on uh, a kind of uh, predictive battery charging um, alert. So um, it's entitled Smart Advice to Charge Notification um, and was originally apparently dug up by Apple Insider um, and it's a patent. I mean, at the minute, we all, we're all familiar with the your phone is at uh, 20%, you know, turn on low power mode um, and then a 10% warning. But this, um, the idea here is, for example, if a user typically charges their smartphone at night but forgets to do so on one occasion, receiving a battery low indication just before leaving for work the next day does not leave the user time to charge the phone. Um, the premise is, for a given day of the week, a user's patterns in charging are often predictable over time. Uh, a user may have a different pattern on weekends when not working. Apple explains the patent that information such as anonymized location data could help the phone learn whether the user is more likely to change charge the phone and adapt notifications to take information into account. Um, the idea being that it would say you are unlikely to have enough charge to last until uh, you know your normal charging time. Top up your phone now. Um, seems rather clever. Um, what yeah, do you it's think? a little bit like it, well, it's a little bit like the um, thermostat, isn't it? Yes, and that learns your patterns of, of what's it called? I can't remember the name of the hot, the thermostat. Oh, was it the like, like Echo Bee or Nest? Yeah, Nest. It was Nest. I was thinking of um, that. That sort of learns the patterns of the way that you use it, and then you know, will I don't know. I've never had one, so I don't know quite how it works. But I, either it suggests or it, it actually sets it for you automatically. Um, and I suppose this is only really an extension of that kind of thing, really. Well, it's 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 using, I guess, some kind of machine learning to figure out roughly, you know, when when you normally charge, and if you've, you know, for some reason used the phone more or not charged it as much as usual or something, to figure out that you're probably could do with a top up in the, uh, you know, in the interim. Uh, uh, a second paragraph. It says, "Low battery fear is real." <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure it goes far as saying fear. Um, <laughs> Annoyance, you maybe. <laughs> you are so. Um, yeah, for for me, when uh, once again in the before time, when yeah. I was traveling a lot, uh, uh, no kidding, I would have at least three portable chargers with me all the time, so that I would know that I had enough electricity to keep my my iphone charged and working throughout the day yeah i suppose it depends on your uh, yeah on your work and on on your your life patterns i mean mine tends to just get charged every night and it lasts me all day and that's it <laughs> but yeah if, if you're if you're going about where you might not have any way to plug it in then i can see that being a, a concern shall we say <laughs> yeah but it, it would be cool though if uh if my iphone knew I was traveling and, um, and you know, like, you could just look at my schedule and see the sort of things that I'm going to be doing when I'm traveling. Yeah. And then based on, on my previous activities, have a pretty good idea when the battery is going to be dead. So it could be uh, uh, prompting me ahead of time. Or, or at least giving me some idea so that I know here's about how long I'm going to be able to go right now before I have to plug the next charger in. Yeah. Sort of like, hey, Dave, I think you ought to plug the phone in. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the way it's, it's worked for me is uh, my, my phone would get down to like 20% and I would just plug a charger in and uh and leave it plugged in until the charger was dead yeah and uh and just that that was my my routine so b- basically it meant that throughout the day at a conference my iphone had a charger dangling off of it i mean as they say here and it, i've noticed it as well that they, they now have optimized battery charging don't they um ios devices so that when you first plug it in, it will charge the device up to about, I don't know, 75, 80%. And then it will uh, top it off to 100% based on what time you normally unplug it, um, which is particularly good for overnight charging. Basically, charges the phone to 75%. And then based on the time you normally unplug it in the morning, it will then finish it off for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. That, that's... It's to do with lithium batteries, isn't it? They don't like yes. to charge 100% for too long. And it's um, if sometimes I've, I've noticed it when, since they added it, because if you pick your phone up at a certain, you know, earlier than usual, it will say, you know, your phone will be finished charging for 8 o'clock or whatever, um, which is interesting. So, you know, more clever people doing clever things to help us uh, avoid battery anxiety, I suppose. Yes. Either that or, you know, telling us off because we can't be bothered to plug our phones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. More of those, yes. Now, more nagging. More nagging. Plug in. Indeed. Yeah, just what I need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, and just to top off the, um, the sort of Apple things from the week, Popular Science has an article 23 useful Mac settings hiding in plain sight, which um, some of which are, you know, really obvious um, and some of them are uh, a little less so. Um, They're all fairly... uh, Well, if you're you're a long-term Mac user, you'll probably be familiar with nearly all of them. But um, I can tell you one most people aren't familiar with, and it's uh, it's system preferences, customizing what you see. That's that's an interesting. I never, um, I'd forgotten that you could do that to be honest. But um, personally, I wouldn't want to hide something because I'd forget I'd hidden it, and then I'd never find it again when <laughs> I wanted when I wanted it for something. Um, but there, you know, there's some handy tips in here. Like, um, for example, the uh, I like the one here. You know, you can set um, reader view for certain websites by you know automatically. Or all websites, if you wish, actually, so that you only automatically get reader view, um, which is, you know, can be handy if you go to websites that have a lot of sidebar ads and things. Um, mm-hmm. uh, hot corners, which is one I think a lot of people don't uh, use very much, which can do a whole load of clever tricks. Um, there you go. There's 23 yeah, I complete, I completely tips. forgotten about it. A lot of these tips, you know, you just you, know, you just forget, don't you? Because there's so many of them. Oh, there's I like, hundreds. I like this Gazzy's, is a good list. I like Gazzy's tips and on on his show because um and and corners one was one of the things he talked about recently. I'd completely forgotten about corners up till that point. Yep. Um, so yeah. Um. Well, it's like have. it's like the um the one that a lot of people um don't realise that the volume settings can be um adjusted by a quarter of a pip. Yes. Um, oh right. Yeah, uh, blimey. I think it's Command-Shift 
Uh, let me think. No, command option, shift. I can't remember what it is. That's one of those I always forget. Oh, oh I just found a fun one that I didn't realize yeah, was a option, thing. Yeah, it's op option shift and volume up or down will adjust your volume by a quarter of a pip rather than one whole pip. And the same applies for brightness, oh, yeah. by the way. You can do the same with brightness. The screen brightness can be adjusted by quarter of a pip if you use option shift and then brighter or not brighter for those who really so need try to this fine one. tune. Uh, hold down the option key and then hit one of your volume up or down buttons. For and me, it automatically opens that control panel. Yes, it does. I didn't know until just now. Same thing works for brightness. Yep. That, that, <laughs> this is what we say. There are hundreds. They're everywhere. Um, I mean, the option key is amazing anyway, because if you, I mean, open any menu with the option key held down or open a menu and then hold the option key down and you will see quite a lot of uh, extra, know, bits. extra options. For example, um, in Safari, if you open the file menu, you want to have to create new tab. But if you hold the option key, it's a new tab at the end of the row. There you go. Oh, and I still use save. As. I still use save as. I use save as all the time. Yes. Yeah. Um, I still use save as, particularly with pages. Become a, a habit. Mm, yep. Um, probably because we come from a time where save as was the sensible way to go. But there you go. I don't know why they took. Away. I don't. I still don't understand why they took it away. It's a little bit like the the, the MagSafe charger. Why, why did they do that? Because what, what what they do now makes no sense. No, yeah. I I just don't I don't do it. They're sort of weird um, versioning slash cloning things. I don't. Uh, maybe it's just because we're old school, you know. And we, I've uh, never not, met I'm anyone that sure can explain how that is really useful. Over yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it's to do with age. I think it's to do with it. Uh, if you work on a document or edit a document, you and you, you, quite often you will not want to save it as the same document. No, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, particularly if you particularly if you want to delete most of that document and sort of almost start again, but not quite start again. Um, yeah, duplicating it just doesn't feel right. No, <laughs> it's like. But there you go. Each to their own. Yeah, there we are. But um, so that's that's the thing, and that you see, the reason I discussed that one a bit with the tips here is because that needs leads nicely, nicely on to uh, Jeff's one of Jeff's new projects, which uh, is up to speed with Jeff Gamut, which uh, is part of the Mac Voices um, studio of podcasts, I suppose. Um, as Chuck does mm -hmm. various various podcasts like uh, Mac Voices Live, which is. Uh, Always good, which Jeff is regular on. Um, but you and Chuck have started a new string, um, which you've named up to speed, which I, you know, um, I know it's obviously pitched mostly at beginners or switchers or um, people who just aren't particularly tech savvy with the Mac. But um, mm -hmm. like Gaz's tips and, um, and the things we're talking about there, um, is always interesting because you find things. Everybody seems to have some tip or other, or you know, insight that um, you've either never heard of or long since forgot. So, um... one of the things I always find quite interesting, and uh, it's something I mentioned on um, on the uh, My Mac show that's coming out later this week, um, is um, it's when you're very au fait with a piece of software, any piece of software, and you go up to someone who understands it a little bit but not as anywhere near as much as you do and you find that they use it in a completely different way it just yes. it, it's like almost a completely different piece of software <laughs> and, uh, because uh, uh, 
Excel was the one I that I thought about most because I'm a, a fairly power user of uh, Excel, or I, I used to be anyway. And uh, uh, and often I'd come up to people who were doing things painfully slowly simply because they didn't know that if they pressed this key, it would make their lives a lot better. Um, and when you show them, <laughs> their eyes light up and they, and they go, oh, really? Yeah. How did you do that? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So, yes. Anyway, um Jeff, uh, I mean, mentioned, we mentioned this last week. I did, I did mention that Jeff had, had done this, uh, was starting this new thing. Um, and Jeff and Chuck seemed to, uh, have, you know, imply that they thought they might get it done in, I don't know, two or three episodes, which I fell about laughing, thinking, yeah, two or three hundred episodes. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll end up being more than two or three episodes, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, it yeah, yeah. I mean, how, they, how far do you go down that rabbit hole before it's not about beginners anymore? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you a bit of in, insider info on that first episode. Um, we we had a list of several things that we thought we would dive into, and we got through the first one. <laughs> yeah, that's how. That's it because. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously not everybody who's listened to this has, has heard it yet. So, I mean, let's talk, talk a bit about, um, you know, what it's about and, and, and you know, what um, what your kind of goal was. But as you say, you started with the finder and um, you went, you know, one of the most basic things is talking about the sidebar and that filled up nearly a whole show. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so the idea behind this this new show is that, there are a lot of people that uh, don't know how to do much on their Mac, either because they're brand new to the platform or they're intimidated because there's so much you can do. Where do you start? So we decided that we should put together a series where we just show people all of these these little things and uh, and very basic things without any judgment at all because I'm, here here we go on this show i learned a new keyboard shortcut that i had never known before and i've been using macs for literally decades now um so there's there's always something new to learn and so the idea is make it simple make it easy make it approachable and um uh we've got uh, a long list of things that we can work through to show just all these basic things and uh, and over time i think we'll we'll hit some more um advanced topics as well but uh you know if we're if we're not hitting the basics then we're not getting people up to speed no, it, you know and as you say there's always something because there are so many little things on the Mac because everything can be done half a dozen ways usually. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, my my favorite tip, which I, you know, after I listened to the first one, I, I sent to you, didn't I, Jeff, which is I like to put my applications folder in the right hand side of the dot. And if you set it to folder and then view as a list uh, for those of us who are old enough. You get something rather similar to the old Apple menu, where you get an alphabetical list of all your applications, which is, Mm -hmm. I like to do that because then I can keep the applications I use most in the dot, and yet still have access to all of my applications, even the ones I don't use very often. Um, And see, that's a brilliant idea. um, No, I... that's the sort of thing I think that a lot of beginners are wary of. They, you know, 
putting things in the dock or taking things out of the dock. A lot of um, beginners are petrified that they're moving something or breaking something. But, you know, if you take something out of the dock, it's gone. It hasn't really gone, has it? Because nothing in the dock is real. Um, same as the sidebar. They're all just pointers. But um... Right. Yes, we, we even dove into aliases in that first episode because it, it we hit a point where it actually became important to explain what an alias is because we were moving stuff around or more accurately moving pointers around and uh, and without explaining what an alias is it would be very easy for someone who is not familiar with uh, with using their computer in that way exactly what was happening and and we did not want the fear that people would be thinking I moved something and now it's not where it was before and I broke in this and when I deleted it, now I've really screwed up because it's just gone forever. And no, it's just that little pointer that you moved, just the alias. Yeah, that's that's um and I, that's something I've come across endlessly that people do find that concept, uh, particularly beginners, very difficult to grasp and that you see people all the time with um like all the default you know the default layout in the dock exactly as it came out of the box from apple and uh you know who a lot of the time who wants all of those things that apple put in there i understand why apple put them there when you take it out of the box but you know in reality how many people need i don't know they want you know books and home kit and all sorts of other things floating around in their dock i certainly you know the first thing i do when i do a new install is go right well i'd I don't want um, launch pad and I don't want music and I don't want, um, you know, books and podcasts. They're like, out, out of my dock, be gone. Sure. But at the same time, um, if you've never used a Mac before, that's really great for discoverability. Yes, yes. That, I mean, I now you just have this nice that. row of things that you can try out. Indeed. Um, but what, what I'm saying is, you know, I meet people who still have that default layout and go and get whatever you know other apps they use by the most torturous methods and you say why don't you just put it in the dock or right click it and say keep in dock and they're like oh i never never knew you could do that well and think about how many people don't even know that they can move the dock or hide the dock that is true yeah i mean i have mine visible all the time because that is the way i like it but uh, I'm, I'm surprised yes awful lot of people don't realize that you can set it to be on the left or right hand side of your screen if you prefer that yeah along the uh, see my how... dock is hidden and it's on the left side of the screen you could see how it might be a little bit confusing for people to, if you tried to talk to someone over the phone who isn't very familiar with a mac or with any computer come to that <laughs> and their ma and their uh, their sidebar or their uh, toolbars or whatever just disappear for no really apparent reason. Yeah. Oh, they've gone. Where's they gone? gone? Where's it all gone? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a little bit like um, it's a little bit like. Uh, I mean, I know we don't tend to have this quite so much anymore because kids are taught at school. And but in the early days, when you were teaching people who'd never used computers before. The most difficult thing to get to grips with was drag and drop. And the number of times that people said, my folder's disappeared. And, and you you just search through all their folders. And <laughs> and there it is. Yes, you're, you're, you've done it. You've picked it up and you've dropped it on that one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. And it happened, used to happen so often on PCs and Macs. I mean, that's quite a common thing to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... I mean, it's like um, 
I mean, there are a million, million things, but if you've been using the Mac, like, you know, like Jeff, I've been using the Mac since the late 80s. Um, so there are a million things I've learned, and it's probably half a million things I've forgotten again, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but there are very many, and everybody works works their own way, you know. Um, you do get your own way of doing things, um, you know, whether whether it's putting stuff in the sidebar or putting stuff in the dark. Um, yeah, some people like it dark, other people like it light. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, mm-hmm. um, how many people, you know, are, are aware that in the Finder window, um, there's a bunch of tools up there and you can customise that and have a, a whole load of tools of your own in there, such as... Um, you've got the view commands, you've got action commands, um, search bar, quick look button, um, a vast number of tools that you can put up there. Um, and I suspect that most people never touch it. Yeah, you're probably They're just right. not aware that you can change it at all. Um, so we look forward to um, hearing some more from you, Jeff. That sounds like a, a good idea. Uh, thank you. And uh, Chuck and I are having a lot of fun with this. And... Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to see just, uh, how, how deep we end up going with this. Um, uh, we, we could get crazy technical at some point, but the idea is we want to keep this friendly and approachable and easy. So, uh, we'll, we'll see, but we're having a lot of fun with this and hopefully cool. it's useful. Yeah. When I, when I bought my first iMac in 2007, I relied on the great Don McAllister a lot. Don is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. A lot of his, his stuff where he went through the basics helped a lot when I first got one. So anything anything like that. So uh, uh, any new users, I'll point them in your direction. Very much. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, and talking about things you can do with the, tool, with the toolbar, I, I'm pretty sure as well as the fact that you can customize it with a whole load of built-in tools, I don't know that many people are aware that you can um, you can drag folders in there and applications. Did you know that, Jeff? I didn't know that. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always used to keep my terminal in on that shelf there and the dictionary, for example. Because at one point uh, back in, I don't know, 10.5 or something, it was called Tool Shelf, I think, or the Favourites Bar or something, before they um, eventually called it the Tool Bar. But uh, that that actually comes from um, from Next, that idea, that, that little shelf up there. For yep. those who care about that. <laughs> That sort of trivia. So, now, do, can you still add applications to the toolbar in, uh, uh, what are we up to now? Catalina? Uh, Big Sur. Big Sur. See, I can't even remember anymore. Yeah. They, they come so fast. <laughs> yes, you That's can. That's right, Big Sur. Yes, you can. You. I just, um, I hadn't tried yet. You have to, uh, it's command and drag the application or folder into the toolbar um, and in it goes. Oh, yeah. A little plus. It's lucky you can use that as another little dot. I I assumed it still worked. I just hadn't tried it yet. And you never know what's going to disappear from uh, one version of macOS to the next. I think that's that's been there for, well, I don't know how when they first put it into into, uh, macOS. It's been a long time. Yeah, I I think it might have appeared in 10.2 or something like that. I'm not sure. But uh, All right, well. Here's another one to go along with that, uh, and this has been around since way before Mac OS X. A lot of people don't realize that when you have a document open, 
you know, it has the name of the document at the top of the window. If you command click on that, you get that pop-up menu that shows you where the document is. Yes. Gives you the whole path to the document. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, good. It's um it's slightly different in um in Big Sur in because the, they've moved where the name of the folder or the document uh, can live, but you can do that in folders as well in the finder. Mhm. So if you if you you know um we go down if i dig down through a whole load of folders and then um yeah it, it it's a it's a very cool feature because not only does it show you where something is but if you need to get to a level above that that document or that folder you can just select it from that pop-up you can indeed um I mean, my other favorite, one of my favorites, is I like to have the path bar at the bottom of the finder window. Yes. Um, which does the same thing, effectively. Um, and you can navigate along, a, you know, through a chain of uh, nested folders using that. There we go. We could go on forever, and you probably will with, the... uh, with, with Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, you, you just gave people that tip, so we need to tell them yeah. where you set that up. So in the finder... Indeed. Um, so you see Finder in the upper left-hand corner of your screen. Click on View, and you can choose Show Path Bar, Show Status Bar. I like to include the Status Bar because that's a really nice throwback. I, to, I uh, do. Yeah, I do too. OS ten. That's uh, so, System Six days. That is right. Yeah, it shows you how many items are in the currently selected folder, or uh, you know, and. Uh, how much space it takes up if you have an application selected it shows you how big the application is um anyhow uh, that status bar is uh, is pretty cool but that path bar is so handy too there we are so i wish you luck it's with that just, i should be just listening i should be listening to that with glee and possibly sending you me, odd tips it just makes me think fondly back to my my days at work where uh, at least one or two of the people that i used to work with who could have dragged the calculator up into the top bar so that when they were adding up a row of figures on Excel, they'd have the calculator handy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. at least they were saving themselves some clicks because they didn't have to go digging down through folders to find the calculator <laughs> app. I, I, I'm trying to find a, a good spin on this. <laughs> well done, Jeff, you have. <laughs> oh dear. Right. Well, I'll tell you what. What we'll do now, I think, is we will skim over uh, the last couple of stories and uh, wrap it up because we've been going a moderate amount of time. So, um, a little bit of sad news on the technology front. Uh, Dr. Chuck Geshki, I think. I don't wish to mangle Geshki. his name. Geshki, yes, I think. Co founder of Adobe and inventor of the PDF has died at age 81. So. We're all very sad about that, I'm sure. Um, I actually yes, am. A useful thing. Yeah, of course. I mean, I've made my living using Adobe since the you know late 80s. And uh, PDF, of course, a thing which at first seemed utterly pointless and yet has now become you know, almost uh, the default way of um, handling documents. Yeah. Uh, I could seriously do a whole show just on PDF oh, with you. Blimey. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there's that. Do you remember what first... it was originally called? What Acrobat was originally called? Mm, no. No, I don't Interchange like Postscript. Oh, right. Interchange Postscript. I do remember my first introduction was to PDF was through Postscript. Postscript right. Printer. Right. Yeah. Well, the idea was that uh, we already had Postscript and, uh, 
And that was a way of explaining vector essentially to, uh, to a printing device. And why not? And so then the idea was, why not take that a step further and take that postscript and turn it into something that can be easily shared and viewed uh, cross-platform and uh, no need to have something like Illustrator to, uh, to look at the content or go back to the original document. And that was the birth of Interchange Postscript which gave us the PDF format and, uh, and ultimately was renamed to Acrobat. And uh, there you go. That's the super distilled history of the distilled history Acrobat. Of Acrobat. There we go. Um, mm-hmm. Which is kind of funny because, uh, because um, that's what Acrobat is. It's a, there's even the Acrobat distiller at one point. And yes, I'll, I'll stop now because we don't want this to be a, a four hour show. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I suppose people who have, you know, less history um, with the Mac than people like Jeff and I do not really understand what a revelation PDF was because um, back in the day, sharing files across platform was a nightmare and even from one machine to another would be fraught with difficulties with fonts and and and, and let's face it it still is when you buy a computer a pc rather you you don't automatically get pdf i mean we've grown so used to it on the mac because we do it's one of the best things that about the mac is that we that we do have PDF almost as soon as you switch the machine on? Yes, it's everywhere. Um, whereas PCs D-D. don't, and they still. I mean, the, the, there are still people of a certain age who struggle with sending Word documents to one another and wondering why they don't look the same on everyone's machine. Yeah, don't even right. get me started on, <laughs> on yeah. Word documents. Oh my! Oh yeah. my! Ah, uh, there we are. Um. Um, apparently, a backdoor developer tool which stole credentials escaped notice for three months, according to Ars Technica. Um, apparently, nobody bothered to check the uh, was it the SHA sum, um, which seems for developers a rather foolish thing to do. There's a reason for checksums and hashes and <laughs> so on. Um, yes. uh, yeah, I, I, it, apparently it's uh, a malicious version of a bash uploader. Um, from Code Cov, apparently. Um, Didn't this relate to AWS in some way? It'd probably um, help if I actually looked at the article. Yeah. Uh, a publicly available software development tool contained malicious code which stole the authentication credentials that apps need to access sensitive resources. Um, it's a supply chain attack which has the potential to backdoor the networks of countless organizations. Um the CodeCov bash uploader uh, contained the backdoor from late January to the beginning of April. Um, the backdoor caused com- developer computers to send secret authentication tokens and other sensitive data to a remote site controlled by the hackers. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. Um, yes, it was, yeah, a pile of AWS and other cloud credentials. Deary me. Dear, oh, dear. Um, and it says here, basically, um, the tampering was discovered on April the 1st by a customer who noticed that the SHA sum that acts as a digital fingerprint did not match the SHA sum for the version downloaded from codecov.io slash bash. Now, that Oops. seems like something you would want to check every single time. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Just saying. As a developer. Um, right. You know, I mean... <sighs> Sure, I don't necessarily check the, you know, validate the checksum or or the 
SHA uh, fingerprint, you know, when I download something like um, LibreOffice, but, you know, you're doing something that's, uh, you know, effectively security critical, you really should be checking your checksums. Um, mm-hmm. There we go. Uh, that's yeah, a bit like the stories yeah. we keep having about people, you know, how many how many uh, servers, you know, are still unpatched two months after a critical security, you know, update yeah. was released. Yeah, and so uh, it, it, lower down in the article, it says it's actually quite similar to the compromise that hit SolarWinds recently. Mm. Ouch. So Ouch. Mm. Yes. Ouch. So, there you go. If you're a developer, uh, check the checksums on your tools, people. Don't be a fool. There we are. Um, What else? Um, A nasty MacBook Pro pop-up scam. Praise on unsuspecting victims. Don't get fooled. That's a link to Laptop Mag. Um, Another one of those uh, typical... uh, A new version of an old Apple tech support scam has resurfaced. Um, Oh, did I tell you... Um, I think I mentioned last time, didn't I, that uh, I might have said it to you rather than on the show, um, that I'd just been helping a friend who'd got this voice message saying, oh, you yes. must ring this number at Microsoft and whatever. Um, so she switched her machine off and she couldn't get it to reboot. But we managed to uh, I managed to go into the recovery um, in Windows 10 and it all came back. So fortunately, she got everything back. That's good. Yeah. Yes, it was one of those where she rang me up and she was in a bit of a panic and she said, listen to this. And it was actually saying, you know, your your computer has been compromised. Ring this number. <laughs> and she said, do I ring the number? And I said, no. No, do not <laughs> under any circumstances. Well, this is basically uh, this one that they're talking about here on Laptop Mag is the same, you know, the same old warning, you know, identity theft and hacking possibilities. Uh, and it's got what looks very much like an official Apple has detected a security error due to suspicious activity. Please con- right. con- contact the Apple certified live technicians for help on, you know, number. Ring this number. Yeah, don't. Do not ring that number. And that's a very old scam, but it's resurfaced, apparently. Right. And Apple is never going to pop up something like that on your screen. Apple is never going to call you and say, we have detected suspicious activity <laughs> on your computer, anything like that. No. That's not. not how it works. And nor no. a Microsoft, by the way. Because I've right. had people Microsoft ring me up. Microsoft will not do that either. And told me that they're from Microsoft and that my, they said that my, um, my IP address had been compromised by somebody in Mountain View. And I said, oh, really? So Google are desperately trying to break into my Macintosh computer and you at Microsoft are trying to ring me to warn me. I don't think so. I suggest you bugger off before I summon a policeman. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, they happen all the time. And, of course, people, unfortunately, people do get tricked by this. It's um, yeah. And some of them are very conv- convincing, I have to say. You know. mm-hmm. There we are. Yeah, uh, on the phone call thing, this this is not computer related, but I'm tossing it out there anyhow, because at some point it's going to help someone. If you get a phone call from your bank saying, we've detected, you know, we, there's suspicious activity on your card. And, uh, and we think that uh, there might be purchases that you did not make. So we need to verify some information so that we can... Uh, 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 figure out if these are legit charges. Tell them, thank you very much. I'm going to hang up and call back. And if they give you a phone number to call, don't call that number. Call the number that's on the back of the credit card because they could give you a bad number 
And uh, so even if it's legit, your bank will be fine with it because you're calling them back and taking care of it. And if it's not legit, you have not given away any personal information. Indeed. Absolutely. Um, and there are a million versions of that uh, scam. I get regular phone calls purportedly from Amazon saying, thank you for your purchase. Your card will be charged £399. You know, um, if you didn't make this purchase, please ring this number to, uh, you know, sort it out. It's like, yeah, I don't think so. Go away. But, uh, oh, also, apparently the US Postal Service are constantly unable to deliver my package, which, as I'm in the UK, is unsurprising. <laughs> yeah, well, right now, if you're in the United States, it's unsurprising as well, sadly. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, endless, endless kind of attempts to get you to give away your information. There we are. Um, yeah, I must admit, I must admit, I do uh, to my friends at church and whatever who uh, have these problems, I do recommend the. Um, call minding services that uh, are available indeed because they're because uh, that you can buy a phone with them on all you need to do is active in the uk all you need to do is activate um so that you can see the call of the number of the incoming call and it will um it will filter out almost everything i hardly ever get any calls from uh, i might get one or two on my on my mobile but on my home phone i get none at all they just don't get through jolly good that's really nice is nice indeed. Um, this one's not really technology per se, but I thought it was interesting um, and bizarrely comes from a site called Showbiz 411. Um, breakthrough COVID-19 red light treatment in Canada kills coronavirus in nasal passages. Um, really? Yes, really. Um, wow. Sounds, sounds a bit dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's strange. Just over a year ago, I told you about a possible treatment for COVID-19 being used in Canada, and it has worked. A clinic in Toronto is treating patients with red light, red light photodynamic therapy, which has excellent results, convert, uh, converting individuals who have tested COVID-19 positive to COVID-19 negative in the front of the nasal passages. Um, so you can keep your nose safe from COVID. Yeah. Um, the technology uses red light, which is safe for human tissues, unlike UV light, which activates a special light-sensitive liquid called a photosensitizer, which is naturally attracted to germs and destroys germs physically within moments. Um, hmm, interesting. Um, and there's quite a long piece there um, on Showbiz 411. So I guess now we're going to have people in Canada walking around with glowing noses. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or people greeting one another and shining red noses, red lights up each, up each other's noses. <laughs> right. Um, mm. Mm. There we go. I I, I listened to um, there's a YouTube uh, by a British uh, doctor, uh, and it's actually not um, a clever YouTube at all. All he does is he he puts down the key information about COVID, and uh, not just in the UK, he does it most of the world, and. Um, he literally has a camera looking down at it, and he goes through and ticks things as he talks about them and crosses. And it's 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 just a really interesting guy, and he talks about research that's being done, and um, uh, it's fascinating. Good guy. I'd I'd recommend him to anyone who he does a daily podcast. Uh, and uh, but during the last week, he's talked about um, interesting research into uh, all of the different um, this idea that the AstraZeneca. Um, drug is the only one that causes blood clots is not right <laughs> they all do to a certain extent um uh, so yeah he's an interesting very interesting guy to listen to 
There we are. So, cool. Interesting. Um, it, it, what they appear to be saying in this article about this treatment is it's not so much, um, it doesn't cure COVID. Um, its main point is to, uh, it, it has to be used regularly. What they're saying here is um, that um, employees at meat packing plants proved extremely vulnerable to COVID. Med- medical professionals deployed the SteriWave to one of the largest in Canada. The plant has 1,400 employees, and since the SteriWave was deployed there to treat these employees once a week for the past nine months, that I understand there has not been a single case of an employee who has pro- uh, pro- tested positive. So. Mm. That's a very small sample size. Well, it is, but, you know, nobody's saying it's a miracle cure, but anything that can help um, combat the COVID is uh, of great use, I'm sure. There we are. Um, What have we got? Um, I've got a link here to a breakdown of common hacks and cyber hygiene best practices on Business Insider. I'll just leave that there if you're interested in that. Um, And we've got some worth of chirps. Um, Alistair has sent us DXO Pure Raw, which is from, obviously, the makers of the DXO. Um, Pure Raw, they have simply packaged um, their raw processor into um, a small app in and of itself so that you can um, process your raw images and then send them on to Photoshop or Lightroom or other um, product of your choice. Obviously, for professionals, uh, it's <laughs> not cheap. It's yeah. eighty. It's eighty pounds, 80 pounds. In, in the yeah. UK. Um, however, um, a, a free trial is available, of course, so you can try it out. Um, and if you're, you know, Alistair is very keen on it, and Alistair does a lot of photography. Um, and yes, shoots a lot of raw. I mean, um, he says, you know, he he feels it's highly recommended. Um, so there we go. Um, nice. Uh, this one, I think, came from. Donnie, which is a well-hidden iOS feature, allows you to correct your Apple screen's colors. Um, this is from F-Stoppers. Um, if you ever look at images on your phone or tablet and think the colors don't look quite right, you can quickly and easily calibrate your f- screen with the lesser-known iOS feature. Um, and basically, this is go into settings, go uh, down to general accessibility and select display accommodations and then you can apply color filters and there is a range of color filters and you can adjust their hue and intensity in order to there's uh, another there's another subject you could do a whole podcast about isn't it just oh just what's just what's under accessibility on the oh oh, yeah amazing oh yeah and I think many people never look in there because, you know, well, I don't have any, you know, accessibility needs, but there are loads yeah, of things. There's some in really there useful use. stuff in there. I, I, I use <laughs> yeah. some things in there. Like, I like to have my pointer yeah. just a little bit bigger than the one Apple would like me to use because, well, I'm getting on a bit and my eyes are not what they were. And, uh, so, yes, yeah, since, since I bought. Since I bought this this wide screen that I've got, I do lose my mouse pointer at sometimes. But I remembered what you told me, uh, Simon, ages ago about the wiggling your mouse pointer and it gets bigger. Yes, that's a that's a classic, isn't it? But you can also, yeah. in accessibility, make the pointer uh, bigger, and you can make right, it anywhere from that. 
bloody enormous if you wish. Which, you know. <laughs> but you know, yeah, we, we might you you know we might well laugh. But you know, um, my neighbour has uh, macular degeneration, um, yeah. so he has to have um, the sizes on his screen honking much huge. Larger. And yeah. you know, he has to have the pointer on his laptop about an inch long because otherwise he can barely see it. So yeah, you know, and um, those of us who are of a certain age find those sort of things very useful <laughs> yes indeed we do so there you go uh that as you say you could spend a whole podcast just talking about accessibility features um and yep, yep. the last worth of chirp which was from uh jim uh we mentioned uh, a online printing service before which i think uh donnie had recommended to us uh jim recommends mix Mixum Print Online Printing Services, the UK's best price and quality. That's a recommendation from Jim, who is, of course, you know, a keen photographer and uh, uh, sends us lots of pictures into the darkroom in our Slack. Um, and the Justice Snippet. I like snippet. their website. Yes. I like, I like the website. It's got, it's got lots of clever, I don't know what this is. Is it Ajax that's making all this happen or something? When you, when you click on booklets, different things fold down. It's all very, uh, mm. it's very nice. Yeah. Quite clever. All very clever, isn't it? And there we are. Um, so that was recommended by Jim. And uh, the Just a Snippet is also from Jim, which is an app called Bevy. Find out when and where your friends are having a drink. Um, which is a sort of... Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, I miss those days. It's uh, B-E-V-V-I. Um, and it's, well, basically, it's a simple um, a simple sort of social type app where you and your friends can uh, say where and when you are going for a drink and uh, where nearby beer gardens might be available. Um, Jolly good. If you're, you, you can know. crash parties that you weren't invited to. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I think, know where you are. <laughs> I know where you are now. Yeah. Um, well, I have to say, yesterday I did go for a, a pint with my ex-colleague, um, and we sat in the beer garden in the sun and had a couple of beers. That was very nice for the first time in very nice months. Um, and there we go. I think that probably do us for a show. So um, excellent. We'll wrap it up. Uh, Jeff, would you like to tell the listeners where they can find you? Well, sure. Uh, but I'll start by saying thanks for, for inviting me back on because I seriously enjoy hanging out with, with all of you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Jay Gamut, both places. I'm doing the Mac show and the big show on British Tech Network. So that's Thursdays and Fridays live. Uh, Mac Voices live. That would be on Tuesdays. And of course, Chuck and I have, uh, have our new up to speed series. And, um, I'm trying to think of all the other places I've been recently. Uh, uh, Apple Context Machine, Media Plus, podcasts. Um, uh, I, I kind of get around. I'm easy to find. <laughs> You're just a boy who can't say no, Jeff. There you go. That's me. Indeed. So, no, that's that's great. Uh, and uh, Nick? Uh, yeah, um, I can be found very occasionally on Twitter, um, as Gaz found out this week, because he sent me a tweet and I didn't see it. <laughs> But but I do occasionally look in there, uh, and I'm Spligosh on there, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. And um, you can hear me occasionally over on Bart's show as well, over on uh, Let's Talk Apple. And um, you can find some of my playing abouts with uh, 
live streaming on the uh, the Sutton Park Circuit website. If you just look up Sutton Park Circuit, yeah, well, they should be able to find it. It's in the it's in the in the show notes anyway. Yeah. And of course, uh, you recorded a show with Gaz because uh, Guy was away, and that should he be was out, indeed should be so out I, I, any I day now. I forced myself on them. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. So, yes, you can uh, look out for the MyMac show where um, Gaz will be asking Nick the same set of questions he asked Guy the week before so that we can see what the contrast and compare, shall we say. Yes. I'm looking forward to that. I really am. There we are. Um, I, of course, can be found on Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. All the show stuff is over at essentialapple.com. Um the show tweets as at Essential Apple, unsurprisingly enough. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for the people who support us by retweeting our stuff, by battering their friends until they give in and listen. Um, those who support us via Patreon or the Pinecast Tips Jar and so on. Uh, thank you, everybody who supports us in any way, shape or form. And with that, I think we'll sign off until next week uh, when Gaz will be joining us. So uh, until then, we'll all say goodbye. Bye. <laughs> oh, goodbye. <laughs> and I'll, well I'll just, I'll just, ch I'll channel Jim. Uh, wear a mask. Yes, wear a mask <laughs> indeed. Well, well done. Even Jack. if you've, even if you've gotten your jabs, wear your mask. That indeed. is very true. <laughs>
choices for cases for this phone yet because it's so new. The glass, I think, is Gorilla Glass, and that's good. I like that. I would recommend that. Any idea of the capacity or the price or any of the plans that you have on your iPhone 12 mini? The capacity is... It's the one in the middle. I can't remember. 128 maybe? I think it's 128 And so that made the phone a little more expensive than the base price. I think the base price was $699. And since I went up to the higher capacity, I think the phone was $749. Plan? Are you on a special plan? The plan I have is cheap. It's like 65 bucks a month. I think it's cheaper because it doesn't really do streaming, but I don't really stream, so. And in the U.S., which carrier do you use and why? AT&T have always had AT&T because I had another cell phone company when I first got a cell phone 20 something years ago and that company got bought by AT&T and so I've just kept it this whole time. Are you satisfied with your AT&T service? It's fine. I think they're all crooks, but it's fine. One's not really better than the other. What about reception? Tell us where you live and what kind of reception you're getting. I live in Chicago and the reception is great. It's not a problem. So if somebody's considering getting the mini, what are the big positive features about the iPhone 12 mini that people not know about or might not consider? Well, it's basically the iPhone 12 in a smaller body. So if you want all the features of the iPhone 12, but you want a phone that fits in your pocket or if you have smaller hands, I would recommend the mini. They're going to come out also with an iPhone 13 mini, I imagine. So basically the idea is if you want a smaller version of the most recent iteration of the phone, the mini is the way to go. And you said you have small hands. Do you keep it in a pocket, in a purse, or in a sweatshirt? Where do you keep it to make it convenient? Uh, it depends. Sometimes it's in my bag and sometimes it's in my pocket. A lot of times it's in my pocket, actually. How long did it take you to notice the difference in camera quality? I didn't notice right away, but I did notice within the first week, I would say. And where do you post your pictures that people could see them? On Instagram. And my work Instagram is Sheba Does Hair. Why do you have hair in your Instagram? Because I'm a hairstylist. How do your hair pictures go over on Instagram? Pretty well. I don't have a ton of followers, but I get a lot of likes in comparison to how many followers I have, I'd say. Great. So any last words for people who've never heard of the mini or think it's going to be too small or too stupid or too this or too that? What should they really take into consideration, whether they're young or old? I think it's a great phone. I think that Apple is realizing that it's a really good phone for women because we have smaller hands generally than men. That ever, not everyone wants to have a gigantic phone. So if you want a really good phone, but you don't want it to be huge, it's the one for you. What do you think about those women that I see all over the place wearing jeans look like they're painted on their body and they have a full-size phone or a max phone and it's about sticking 90% out of their pocket and about 10% in the pocket. What do you think of that uh, fashion statement and that phone statement? Not my favorite look, I have to say. How long do you think you'll keep your phone? Are you in a hurry to get a 13 or do you want to keep this phone for a long time? Well, right now I'm paying for two phones, so I'm definitely not getting a third phone anytime soon. Why are you paying for two? Because I just bought the SE, which I hated. I got a partial credit for it, but I still owe money on it. And as soon as the Mini came out, I was wanted it. So I'm paying for two phones for a while. What did you do with the SE? I sent it back to them. Oh, so you're paying for it even though you don't have it. Yes. I got $200 credit for it, but I still owed around 150 for it. So Okay, so that's not terrible. It's worth it, worth it for the new phone, for the yeah. camera. 
Definitely worth it. How often do you need to charge it? I usually charge it every night, but usually, unless I'm using it a ton, I don't need to charge it during the day. And when you travel, how does the 12 Mini work for airline stuff and restaurants and car directions and looking things up and hotels and all that? Well, this is my first time leaving Chicago in a year, so I haven't really tested it out much, but so far so good, just the same as every other phone. Okay, well, thanks for your report, special report here at Nemo's Hardware Store on the iPhone 12 Mini from Sheba from Chicago. Back next week. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh... Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Hi, my name is Dave Ginsberg. I'm the host of In Touch with iOS at intouchwithios.com with my co-host Warren Sklar. We talk about iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and related technologies. We also have some great Apple guests from the Apple community that also talk to us uh, relating to any tips, any apps, any news of the day, anything that's going on with Apple. Please give us a listen. Our website is intouchwithios.com. Essential Apple Podcast. Goodbye and thank you for listening.